Good morning. Let's just take a moment to prayer. That song was awesome, wasn't it? Just a cry out of our hearts to God's heart that we desperately need God. Let's pray together, shall we? God, we come to you today and just confess that we need you. We desperately need you. Without you, we can do nothing. But with you, all things are possible. And so, Lord, as we come to your word today, I pray that the Spirit of God would work in all of our hearts and you'd open our heart to just see what you have for us. And then seeing, I pray that we would live the truths of Scripture and that we would go out from this place and just be able to reflect the God who we need but who is there and who does take care of us day by day. Bless today the, just the, the time that we have together to spend in your word. And may you meet with us and just show us in our life what we need to see today from your word that will help us in our walk as believers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So how are you? I'm going to grab something here if I can. How was your week? Was it good? <laughs> that bad, huh? I, gotta ask, I have to ask you one question, because I'm curious. What is it with these seats over here that you guys don't like? Did someone pass out over here or something? I'm just curious. I'll wait for the answer to cycle back, but I just was curious why no one was sitting in this section over here. So I invite you to break the curse next week. Invade this area and, uh, and, and uh, break the curse, whatever it is. So, let me, uh, let's behold Christ today. Behold Jesus. For the next couple of minutes, let's just think together and let's process some, some things that Jesus taught us. Because we're here today, all of us have something in common. No matter what age you're at, no matter what the occupation that, that you are engaged in, no matter what racial background you have, wherever you're from, all of us have something in common. And that commonality is we all face temptation. Every day, we all face temptation. On top of that, we all have a set of sins that we seem to struggle with. You're familiar with a passage in Hebrews where it says, that sin that does so easily beset you, is the King James. That sin that does so easily ensnare you. Do you ever wonder why it is in your life that you keep going back to the same sin? And you try your dead level best to not go back to that sin, but it seems to be the sin that kind of gets you. And so you work hard, you pray hard, you read your Bible hard, and for a period of time, you're successful over that temptation. But then all of a sudden, as you're going in life, you go back. Why do we keep going back to that same sin? And the interesting thing in here in a, in a place like this and with the people that are here today, for each of you, it's a different set of sins. What may be the things that cause me to sin, for you may not tempt you at all. What may tempt you may not touch me at all. 
And so I look at you and may not understand your struggle with that particular set of sins. But if you really categorize it and you realize it, everyone has a particular set of sins to which they or you are vulnerable. They can get you. They can get you. But the thing about that, we all have that in common. Maybe a different set of sins, but all of us struggle with a set of sins. And all of us here today, if we were willing to go around the room and be open with each other, say, yeah, this particular sin is the one that keeps getting me. This is the one I keep struggling with. We all have that in common. I'm not sure sometimes why we come to a building like this and why the church assembles that we don't often talk about that. And, and why it is that as Christians, we just do our dead level best to kind of make sure that nobody knows what set of sins it is that I struggle with. Because I want to keep that from you. I don't want you to know that. And in it, in doing that, sometimes we lose accountability and we lose touch with the people that probably could help us the most. Because that's why we're here together, to help each other in our journey and help us with the things we struggle with. That's why we're here. You came today because you realize you're a sinner. Lord, I need you. Help me today to be able to live victorious over the set of temptations that I am going to face today. We all have that in common. We all have that in common. The difficulty is, and probably the need today is, most of us wonder if we'll ever be able to conquer or overcome that sin. And the answer to that is, yes, you will. Yes, you will. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he assured your ultimate victory. And the process of sanctification, as we call it in the Bible, or our growth in Christ is that process whereby we grow stronger to be able to face this. But let's face it, something here on planet Earth will never truly overcome it until Jesus comes back and rescues us from it. We're going to struggle with it. You're going to struggle with it. So all of us today have in common this thing of we struggle with temptation. And so today as we come just realizing our need and realizing the struggle that we have, what we need to do is kind of behold and behold Jesus. And that's what we want to do this morning. We want to behold Jesus and just look at him as he was engaged. And we want to gaze at him because he was the one who overcame temptation. One author, Alexander McLaren, uh, somebody from days gone by, made this observation. Christ wrought out his perfect obedience as a man through temptation and by suffering. The measure of your Christianity and the measure of your own growth is really how are you able to handle temptation? One of the things I, that I had to learn years ago that I didn't understand, I, I thought this. I had this. When I was first married years ago, I thought this was a great marriage. 
that we, my wife and I would just work hard and work hard and work hard, and the first couple years there would be this, we'd struggle and there were issues and all this stuff, but at some point, if we just kept growing and growing, that marriage would just level out and it would just be a smooth sailing from there on in. Why you laugh? It didn't happen, did it? It didn't happen, did it? What did happen was this. The struggles kept getting harder. The things we faced kept getting more difficult. And a great marriage was this. A great marriage is those who are willing to engage in the struggles and ask Christ to help them, and they're willing to face them, tackle them, and seek solutions. Does that make sense? So I kind of thought the same thing when it came to Christianity. I thought, you know, as a young Christian, okay, I'm saved. First couple years, our Christianity is going to be really tough because we've got to learn a lot. We've got we to learn to handle all this. But if we just keep going and going, there'll come a point in our Christianity where it just levels out and we kind of, ah, great. That didn't happen either. And we learned that what we need is we need to face temptation because temptation shows us really where we're at. Temptation shows us really the strengths and the weaknesses of our lives, and we need that. Testing is good for us because Christianity and growth in Christianity is not where difficulties or trials and temptations go away. It's where you come to the point where you can handle them and you can engage in them and then when you do so you're able to come through them victorious that's growth that's growth think it this way forgive me high school students for saying this but for those of you that are older say my age or close when you look back at the stuff you went through in high school was it tough at the time it was wasn't it looking back at it now what do you think of it and what you're facing today is tougher than what you faced back then. For the high school students in here, what you're engaged in now is tough, but life will get tougher. But you will get stronger. And that's the way God designed Christianity. And that's what it really is about. It's our growth and it's our being transformed by Christ to become more Christ-like. Make sense? So this author has it right when he says the reality of your life and the reality of your faith is seen in your dealing with the temptations you face and the hardships that you're able to endure. To some degree, that's what your church is going through. As you look back in the past, a church is not, there's no church that can just kind of gut it out, gut it out, be strong, and all of a sudden a church is going to settle in and cruise. Yeah, how's that working for you? A church is a place that needs constant testing, needs constant trial, because it just shows you the strength of your church. It shows you things that you need to know and learn. And in learning them, it helps you. For years, I was a basketball coach. And as a, as a coach, I always thought this, winning is awesome, right? But you know, I learned as a coach that losing was more valuable. You know why? I mean, I don't like to lose. I still don't like to lose. I still have a hard time playing games with my grandkids because I can't stand losing, okay? The problem is I always lose. They beat me. When you win, you celebrate. When you lose, you evaluate. 
and you look at your life and say, why is it that we lost that game? What did we not do that cost us that win? And we evaluate. And we were able to take and evaluate. We were able to go in and say and identify, here's a part of our game or here's a part of our life where there is weakness and we have to go in and through practice we strengthen what is weak. See, when you win, you celebrate. When you lose, you evaluate. And evaluation is a critical part. So you're going to face temptation. When you win, you can celebrate. But when you lose, you need to evaluate. Say, what is it in my life that I need to go after that revealed my lack of growth or my susceptibility to that temptation? And then learn from it and then say, now, let's work on it. So life is not seen in the good times, but it's seen in the times of testing and the times of trial. And that's true of all of us. So therefore, we must gaze and behold Jesus because of his ability and his example in facing temptation. The scripture said this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It, it makes this observation. It said, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's why we should behold Jesus today, because he is the only one who ever faced temptation and yet did not sin. I like how the New Living Translation interprets this particular verse. Notice what it says. It's simpler language. It says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. In other words, God knows. God knows. I like to ask a question from time to time. I, I would ask you this and ask you to think about this. What are your God-assigned strengths? Because all of you have them. What are they? But then I want to ask you another question on the other side. I want to ask you this question. What are your God-assigned weaknesses? Say, wait a minute. Wait, wait, whoa, whoa. God assigned each of us weaknesses? What's the answer to that? You want to take a shot at it? What's the answer at that? Did God assign us weaknesses? Yes, no. Did he create you, you? Then on all of you, you have things at which you're really good at, and you have things at which you're weak at. If you want an example of that, just look at your marriage. You probably complement each other, and opposites attract to each other. And you... Watch this. When we focus on our strengths, if we're focused on our strengths, do we need each other? Come over here with me on this one for a minute. If we're willing to concede our weaknesses and focus on our weaknesses, do we need each other? Which is the church? That's why this verse of Scripture says this. This high priest of ours understands our strengths. If we focus there, we don't need a high priest. 
No, the Bible says this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. And when we, he understands our weaknesses, when we understand our weaknesses, we understand we need him. He does not need us, but we need him. And then it goes on to say, for he faced all the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. So he's looking at us saying this, I understand you. I know you. I created you. I know your weaknesses. And I'm there to be a resource for you. And I'm there to be a help to you. So I want to propose to you today that we should behold Jesus because he is the only person who never caved to temptation. And we behold him. This temptation, though, of Jesus is more than just an example for us to behold. And let me just deal with this concept for a minute. The temptation of Jesus was a, and is one of the proofs that he is who he claimed to be. Temptation, when he faced this temptation, and when he lived without sin, he proved himself that he indeed was the Son of God. Now, he didn't have to prove it to God. He needed to prove it to us. And one of the reasons that we bow before Jesus, our Savior, is because he was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we come today and we look at him and he's just not saying, hey, I'm going to run into this temptation and I'm going to give you an example of how to overcome temptation. That's not what it was all about. He's saying, I can face temptation and I will show you who I am by the way I live. And I will give you a living demonstration that I indeed am the son of God, the Messiah, the one sent into the world as the lamb of God. So there's, the, there's theology that underlies this. And let me just take a moment and talk about this. Because one of the things that we tend to do is we tend to talk a lot about the death of Christ. One of the things that we don't do as much as we should is talk about the sinless, spotless life of Christ. And you say, why is that important? Because he lived the life that you and I could not live. He was righteous in every way. So what we say is he lived the life that I could not live, but he also died the death that I deserved to die. And what happens is called the, in theology the great exchange where I give him my sin and he gives me his righteousness. So when God looks down at us, when we are in Christ, he does not see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ that has been put to our account. Isn't that neat? And when he looks at Jesus Christ, he sees our sin. But then what happens with Christ when he went to the cross and there on the cross he died, he paid the penalty for our sin, so he doesn't even see our sin in Christ. He sees the blood of Christ which covers all of our sin. So what I want to say to you today is this. If this week your life is not perfect, it's okay. 
because you have a high priest who understands your weakness and your imperfections. So if this week you go out and you mess up, well, evaluate. But it's okay if we mess up because Jesus didn't mess up. But he knows that we will mess up. Now, at the same time, I'm not going out this week to try and mess up. (laughs) But I don't have to live my life saying, oh, I might mess up. No, we can all say this together today. We're going to mess up. But then we can say this, Jesus didn't mess up. And it's his righteousness that God sees, the great exchange, my sin for his righteousness. That's a great deal, however you look at it. And so his righteousness is put to our account. But at the same time, he did face temptation. And what can we learn from the temptation And what can we learn about temptation? And what can we learn from our text today that we can learn? Let's take time to read it, shall we? Let's go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 says this. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Can you imagine going 40 days without eating? You'd be hungry too. The devil said to him, at that moment, the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone." The record of the temptation that Jesus faced in those days. Let's look at it this morning and just see. The first temptation that Satan tossed at Jesus was to doubt or distrust God's love for him. Now, as you process this, it was the temptation to turn a stone into bread. Seems like a very simple temptation, doesn't it? Just saying to Christ, turn this stone into bread. Now remember, he's what? Hadn't eaten for 40 days. He's he's hungry. Turn this stone into bread. It was the temptation, follow this, it was the temptation 
to get Jesus to step out of his humanity and act on his own apart from the will of his Father. And I would say to you that what Jesus does to you is get you to step outside and act on your own apart from what God has for you. Now, as you look at this, he tempted Jesus to abandon the spiritual world and to focus on his physical hunger or focus on the physical world. Set this aside Take care of your hunger, okay? It was a temptation to put his physical needs over his spiritual needs. If you follow that. It was a temptation to not trust his father to provide for his physical needs. We'll do it ourselves. And this is exactly what happens in our lives. Same exact concept. We will succumb to the temptation when we elevate our physical needs or our physical desires or our physical wants over our spiritual needs and our spiritual walk. It takes precedent. And when you begin focusing on your, your physical wants, your physical desires, and you leave behind the spiritual aspect of your life, you're going to succumb to that temptation. Because the physical needs always pull at us. You know, all the temptation in your life that comes, comes as a result of you have that body that you live in. I often think this way. See if this makes sense to you. We've got a little time here. Do you know the truth that when a Christian dies, you know how the Bible says this, absent from the body, what's it say? Present with the Lord. That means there is an aspect to your life now that has been so redeemed that it can go right into the presence of God. So when you die, your body stays behind, and we, your, your soul and spirit, or your immaterial, whatever you want to call it, goes immediately into the presence of God, right? That means that at, at that aspect of you is so redeemed that you can go into the presence of God, but your body can't. Yeah, we'll take your body... And we'll have a service for you, say good things about you, and then take it out and bury it somewhere. Awaiting the day when it receives its glorification and God comes back and brings it out of the grave, redeems it, and then body, soul, and spirit can live in the presence of God. Think about that. If that's true, then all of your temptation is going to come as a result of living in the body in which you live because it still is the aspect of you that is tainted and stained by sin. It's where the temptations are going to come, and they're going to tempt you physically. And they're going to say to you, fulfill your physical desires apart from the will of God. And what he's saying is simply this. I'm going to take into my own hands to fulfill my needs instead of trusting my father to take care of my needs. And it's almost like the old songwriter said, God will take care of you. But I'm saying, yeah, but he's late. I'm going to take care of myself. And that's when you're going to be susceptible to temptation. And that's when you're going to be vulnerable But when you see this physical desire, you see this physical need, understand there's an aspect of me that needs to be discerning as I enter into that. 
So the, the solution here is to maintain a close relationship to Jesus, knowing this, he has us. Why? Because we will succumb to temptation when we elevate our physical needs over our spiritual needs. We will sin when we fail to trust God for our daily provisions. That's why in the Lord's Prayer it says, give us this day our what? Yeah. Give us this day our daily bread. God, take care of our physical needs. And when we forget that God, he's got us. He will take care of our physical needs. Pay attention to your spiritual walk and your spiritual journey. That's when you're going to be able to overcome the temptation. So this, it's like, love me, I'll provide for you. Man shall not live by bread alone. Did you get that? See what he's saying now? If you're going to try and live by bread alone, you're going to be vulnerable and open for attacks in your physical existence. Now, let's go on. Not only does he say, love me, but he says, trust me. He says, I have a plan for your life. In this particular temptation, it says again, Satan comes to him and says, to you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you will then worship me, it will all be yours. It's an interesting temptation. He shows them all the kingdoms of the world. Looking out in the future, he shows it all to them. And he says, I'll give this to you. Now, he could have answered this real simple and said, it's already mine. But he didn't do that. In fact, the way he answers it was, no, you worship only the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now, let's just walk through this temptation. Satan here attempts to get Jesus to distrust or to doubt that God has a plan and God has a path for him and to pursue his own path. So what he's saying is this, look, here, I'll give you this. You can have all of this. And he's trying to get Christ to doubt that God has a plan for his life. And this, as this temptation unfolds, He's saying, do it your way instead of doing it God's way. And what happens here is he says, then worship me. Now, worship is an interesting concept. If I can give you a definition of worship, I will say this. Worship is what you elevate to the ultimate priority of your life. What you make the ultimate priority is what you worship. Okay? Whatever that is. Went the other day, I was at the Eagles game. Forgive me. But you know what the Eagles game is? It's a worship center. It's a worship center. It's really what it is. I sat in a section way up in the boondocks. I mean, way up there in the sky. When the jet flew over, probably could have reached out and touched it. We were up there so high. You know what they do? They worship. They've made that sport the ultimate priority of their life. There were people in there that, I mean, don't go, let's, I won't go there with you. I, I, I will go there with you. You know what they spend for a beer? $9 a beer. This is what I thought. This is, the, this is what I thought as I sat there. 
One guy came up and bought eight beers for his friends. So in one time up, he dropped what? Seventy-some dollars, just like that. Didn't even think about it. Here's what I thought. Can you imagine coming to church and everybody just dropping in money like that? Just not even thinking about it, just letting it go and letting it fly. Wouldn't that be awesome? Come on, wouldn't that be awesome? Okay, let me say it this way. Wouldn't it be awesome if everybody else would do that? The temptation here to worship. See, everyone worships. You're here today. You're created being. You worship. There is something that occupies the ultimate priority of your life. It may be you. It may be a religious system. It may be making money. It may be business. It may be every one of you here today is worshiping something. You have all elevated to a place of ultimate priority something in your life because you are a being created by God and you are created to worship. We all worship. And so as Satan goes into this and tempts him with all this, Jesus just says this, no, the ultimate priority of my life is God. And I will not abandon God for all the kingdoms of the world. I will not abandon my walk with God, and I will not abandon the will of God for all the things you can give me, Satan. You can offer me anything you want. I don't want it because my ultimate priority of my life is God. And what I want to say to you today, if God isn't the ultimate priority of your life, you are susceptible to all temptation, and especially those ones that do easily get you. So the key is in how do we overcome temptation The key is, how do we keep God as the ultimate priority of our life? If you focus on overcoming temptation, you'll lose. If you'll focus your life on your relationship with God and maintaining it and trusting him with every aspect of your life, he'll help you with the temptations that you will face. You see, this is the temptation that gets most of us right here. This second temptation of Christ is the one that gets most of us. It's the temptation to do things my way instead of doing things God's way. The temptation here was to govern his own life and pursue his own path. That's the temptation. You can have all this if you'll worship me. And Satan comes to you and says, look, God's path, I get it. But here, you can have this. You can have this. And so sports becomes my God. Or money becomes a God. Or a job becomes a God. Or children and a family become a God. And we replace and say, I'm going to walk my path instead of saying your will, not mine. We say, my will, not yours. And so God says, trust me. Have a plan for your life. He says, love me. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of your physical needs. Trust me. I have a plan for your life. Then let's look quickly at the last temptation he faced here. He says this. He says, obey me. My word is good. Look how he does this again in this, in this passage. Satan comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. 
and he says, angels will pick you up. And he, Satan even quotes the Bible in this one, pulls two passages from the Old Testament and say, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Again, temptation to us, that temptation looks minor, but that's a major temptation. This temptation is the temptation to twist the word of God for my own personal benefit. I find Christians do this a lot. There's, here's the word of God. Can I give you a picture of a Bible up there? When I come to scripture and I make scripture mean what I want it to mean, who is the authority? Me. And I find in Christianity, we do that all the time. We'll use Scripture to justify things in our own life, even good things. It doesn't have to be sin. We twist it. We twist it. And what happens when we twist it is I elevate myself to the place of authority instead of submitting to God's Word and saying, whatever your Word says, I will adjust my life to your Word. What I say is I will adjust your Word to my life. And when you do that, you put yourself in a place where you are susceptible. And what he's saying to God is, I'm going to obey God. His word is good. And what we're saying is we're going to behold Jesus today, and we can come to his word. We're going to let his word be the authority so that every aspect of our word, his word is here. We're going to adjust our life always to this. We're not going to do this like this. That makes sense? When you turn this upside down, you are going to succumb to temptation because you're making yourself the authority of your life, and that's not a good thing. I'll give you an example of this. I met a policeman today, but riding down the road, talked to another. Police came up twice this morning. One of the ladies I was talking to this morning said, hey, when you drive up from Bainbridge, police like sit here. Watch, watch. When you drive through there, go slow. Take your time. I'm like, thank you. Met another policeman, and uh, we were yakking a little bit today. Said, but when you're riding down the road, and you see the policeman, you ever notice how many people put their brakes on? You all see the red lights light up? Not the police red lights, but everybody's lights light up. Why is that? Why do you do that? Because there's the authority. And you immediately submit your driving to the authority right oh come on don't sit there and look so pious come on just say yes i do that all the time would you say that i do that all the time right see we understand the concept of submitting to authority and jesus saying obey me my word is good now let me in winding this down just show you a passage of scripture, throw it up on the screen for you. And I want to show you this because John understood this. John caught this from Christ. And John writes in 1 John chapter 5, or chapter 2, verses 16. Actually, it's verses 15 to 17. This is verse 16 in there. And he talks about in this verse, he says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, I call that self-gratification, first temptation. Gratify yourself. Turn a stone into bread. Take care of yourself self-gratification 
Those are the temptations, uh, the desires of the flesh. The second realm, and what John writes this, John writes this because Jesus taught him this, and Jesus showed this by example. He said, and the desires of the eyes. I call that self-governance. I'm going to live life my way. I'm going to govern my life as opposed to trusting God and letting his will be what I pursue. And then he says, and he says, and the pride of life. I call that self-exaltation. And, and that's what, exactly what he did in this last one. He said, exalt yourself to the place of authority so that you can get the glory for it all. In John chapter 2, verse 16, is a summary of exactly what took place in the life of Christ when he faced Satan and this all temptation all went down. So your struggle with temptation is going to come in the area of self-gratification. It's going to come in the area of self-governance. And it's going to come in the area of self-exaltation. And if you recognize it and you see it, you can understand it, but then say this. Listen, when it comes to self-gratification, I am going to let my relationship with God be that which dictates and that which governs my life rather than seeking to gratify myself. How can I gratify God? I think it was John Piper that said this. Sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with God. The second thing in the second area is, is when you're tempted to govern your own life and do it your way, you got to come and say, not my will, but your will be done in my life. And I will submit, I will trust you that your will will be the best thing for my life, not my will. And then coming and saying self-exaltation, God, I will always keep you as the authority of my life and the goal of my life is the exaltation of Jesus and his glory, not my own. As we wind this down today, how do you overcome temptation? Real simple. Love Jesus, trust Jesus, and obey Jesus. Real simple. It's real simple. If you'll do that, He'll provide for you. He'll show you the path of life that you're to walk. And he'll be the authority that he needs to be in your life. So we quit with this this morning. Behold Jesus, because he is the only person who never caved to temptation. I think all of you would understand this if I say it to you this way. Well, not most of you here. If you're here and you have kids you'll understand this whole temptation real simple. As your kids are growing up, they have physical needs. And what do you do as a mom and dad? Take care of those needs, don't you? You'd be a terrible mom or a terrible dad if you didn't take care of the physical needs of your kids. I have a little six-week-old, six seven-week-old now granddaughter at home, at uh, back my youngest daughter has a seven-week-old Addie. He's a sweet little thing. You know, the kid needs her diaper changed all the time. You know what mom and dad do? Change the diaper all the time. You know what would happen if they didn't? Suffice it to say, it would be a mess. Kids need to eat. Kids need clothing. Kids need shelter. You as a mom and dad, 
You just want your kids to love you, and you'll take care of their needs. And then, as your kids grow, and they begin to say, you've got to trust me, kids, that I'm going to make decisions. They may not think they're the best decisions, but I'm going to make decisions for you. And you just need the kids, your kids to trust you at times because you as a parent have enough experience to know that if they walk that path, it's not going to be a good ending. And you as a parent will intervene at times and say, look, you're just going to have to trust me. The kid will always ask the same question. The kids have been asking this question since kids were created. Why? Why? Parents have been given the same answer since kids were created because I said so. Right? And what you have to learn as a parent, you know that there's times you just have to intervene and you just have to make decisions the best for your kids because you know the path. And then there's times when your kids are questioning your authority and all you want for your kids is just this. Look, just obey me. It'll work out best for me and it'll work out best for you if you'll just obey me. And so really, as you raise kids, you really only have three expectations of your kids. Just as a child, love me. I'll take care of your needs. As a child, trust me. I know what's best for your life at this point in time. And you, you say to your kids, look, obey me. You need to understand authority in the world in which we live. And so when God looks down and sees all of us, all he says to us is, look, look, just love me. I'll take care of your needs. For my God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Just love me. Just love me. I'll take care of your needs. And then there's times when we're traveling in life and we don't understand the path and we can't see the outcome. Or we think that it's bleak. And we get discouraged and we're not certain of the future. And God just says, trust me, I know the path. And I know the path that's best for you. Trust me. And then there's times when we get our back up and we just want to be the authority of our life. And God says, look, just obey me. You'll find out my word's good. It's always good. And if you'll learn as a Christian to just love God, to trust God with the circumstance of your life, and to obey God, you'll learn to be victorious over the temptations that you face. So I know you can see this if you're a parent. You can see this passage. You can see it clearly. So I'll just quit. Get it? Good. Father, help us in this area of temptation to gaze and to behold Jesus. If we'll keep our eyes on you, the things of earth will grow strangely dim. They really will. Our problem is we get our eyes off of you and then we're in a lot of trouble. God, there may be people here today who you're yet, not yet the object of their worship. They put other things in that place of ultimate priority. And they may not even know you yet as their personal savior to understand that you're the God that forgives sins and you're the God that imparts eternal life to those that'll put their faith and trust in Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
So God, if there's people here today who don't know you, I pray you just grip their heart and show them that they're a great sinner, but you're a great Savior, and that you rescue sinners. And that's what you do. For those that are here today as believers, God, we struggle with temptation. We always will. But if we'll learn to behold you and we'll learn to gaze at you, it will sure help us in our walk and in dealing with temptation. So I pray that we'd learn to even greater degree to love you, to trust you, and to obey you with every aspect of our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we wind it down today, thanks for coming to Mount Calvary today. A couple of visitors here today. Good to have you guests here today. Thrilled you came. Hope you'll come back and, and uh, spend some more time with us, worship with us together. Hey, if you're here today and you have questions about your spiritual journey, uh, you can text us if you want. Uh, you can even text and say hi if you want. Just tell me what your name is so I know who it is. And, uh, or Jonathan or, or Ray, we'd be glad to uh, help you out. You may have questions about salvation. You may be facing temptation or going through a struggle, and you'd just like us to pray for you. And uh, several of you last week just sent texts and said, pray for this, pray for that. Be glad to pray for you if you want to shoot us a text and say, pray for this. Or come up and talk to us either way. And uh, if you're here today and you're interested in being a part of a relational small group where we do life together here at Mount Calvary, come and see us, text us. Uh, we'd like to get you plugged into a life group, small group, where we're accountable to each other and we disciple each other and we help each other grow in our walk. Amen? Amen. See ya.